All right, then, we'll go ahead. Uh, Romans part 33, we're starting Romans chapter 11. Uh, this is the last chapter where Paul is dealing with the nation of Israel, explaining uh, the state that they are in in this dispensation, what happened to Israel. All right, this was God's chosen nation, the one that he gave the promises to, uh, where Paul started out with that in Romans chapter 9 when he started transitioning to dealing with Israel. Um, he gave like five or six promises that the nation of Israel had. And obviously, they haven't received those yet. They're not receiving them now, right? So what happened to them? Um, so he's been explaining that in the last uh, two chapters and then continues in chapter 11. Um, we'll look at the first six verses of this chapter. So he says, I say then, have God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Watch ye not what the scripture saith of Elias? How you make it the intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Bel. Even so then, at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then is it no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. Um, so starting in verse 1, he says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? And so Paul has been dealing again with Israel and their rejection of Christ in the last two chapters, right? explaining what has happened to them, why they haven't received the promises. And it was because they stumbled at that stumbling stone. When he closed out chapter 9, he dealt with that. Uh, they stumbled at the stumbling stone, right, which was Christ. Um, and then chapter 10, last week, we talked about how they knew, they heard the gospel of the kingdom, right? It was presented to them. Think about, we talked about the wise men knew to come see Jesus because they knew he was born, right, by reading the prophets, right? They could have known that, Israel could have, um, but they rejected it, right, because they didn't have faith. Um, so the question would be, okay, so has God cast them away? Right. They rejected it, so God's rejected them. Right? He's cast them off. Uh, is the question here that Paul's asking. Um, and of course the answer is, God forbid. Uh, but some people would say, yes, Israel is cast off. Right? Physical Israel in the flesh. And it's now Israel, spiritual Israel of the church. Right? Some people do say that. Right? Israel now is spiritual. Um, these are people that spiritualize everything. Um, in the Bible. I was reading a commentary from uh, Cornelius Stan. He's uh, kind of mid-Acts, um, dispensational, and he was talking about how he was talking to a modernist who was not dispensational, and he quoted Zechariah 8.23 where it says, 10 Gentiles will grab the skirt of one Jew right, and come to the kingdom to be blessed. And the young man said, well, that's being fulfilled today. Because Jews wrote the scriptures, and Jesus Christ is a Jew. And Gentiles are blessed by the word of God and by Jesus. So Gentiles are being blessed by the Jews. And so he's spiritualizing that verse, is what he's doing there, right? Um, and so the, a lot of people like to spiritualize things. Um, if everything can be spiritualized in the Bible, then we are dependent on theologians and cannot go to God's word to verify it, right? Because what's the spiritual meaning behind that? All right, it says, 10 Gentiles have grabbed the skirt of one Jew. Well, that's not really what that means. What that means is, Gentiles will read the word of God that was written by a Jew and be blessed. All right, that's not what it says. It says that they'll grab the skirt of a Jew and follow him to Zion, 
right to the king where Jesus Christ sits on the throne in Jerusalem. That's what that verse is teaching. So again, you can't verify things. You can't go to the word of God yourself and verify it if everything is spiritualized. You have to trust the theologians to interpret it for you, right, to dig out that spiritual meaning behind those verses. Um, so again, it's a very dangerous thing to start spiritualizing everything because then you can uh, misinterpret things. Uh, you also can't truly know if Christ died for our sins because maybe that's just something that we have to spiritualize. Maybe it's just a spiritual meaning behind that. It doesn't really mean what it says. So again, you would have to question everything if you just spiritualize the whole Bible. Um, so there's danger in spiritualizing everything. Um, you need to read the Bible uh, literally unless the Bible tells you otherwise. right? And of course you can learn things spiritually, such as what's right and wrong. Okay, that's when you spiritualize things. Right, when it's talking about what's right and what's wrong. Not verses that distinctly say, right, this is what happens or this is what will happen. You don't spiritualize those things. You read them literally. Um, so Paul answers the question, uh, God forbid. So to clear up whether or not God has cast off his people, Israel, um, the answer is God forbid. If you go to 1 Samuel twelve twenty two, again, this is not something new with Paul in Romans 9, 10, and 11. We've been going back a lot to prophecy because he's dealing with the nation of Israel. He's explaining things that could have been known and should have been known. Um, 1 Samuel twelve twenty two it says, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it have pleased the Lord to make you his people. So in Samuel, it says, God will not forsake his people for his namesake. Not for Israel's sake, not for Israel's namesake, but for God's namesake, because he's the one that made him his people. Right? Israel wasn't a nation that came together one day and said, we want you to be our God. Right? God birthed this nation. Right? We've been covering that when dealing with the nation of Israel, right? how he called Abraham and did a miracle in his wife Sarah. And the same with Isaac and his wife Rebekah. Right? They were barren, and he gave them children. And he bore this nation, the nation of Israel. Um, so God put his name on this nation. So he's not going to forsake them for his name's sake. Right? Um, Jeremiah 31, 37. Another place. It says, Thus saith the Lord, If heaven above can be measured, and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. So he gives a condition here, right? If the earth can be, uh, if the heavens can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, then he will cast off Israel. And of course, we know from science today that no one's been to the bottom of the ocean. So the foundations of the earth haven't been searched out. Um, and then, of course, um, what's it called? The term you study space, uh, astronomy, right? Talk about galaxies away, right? And as far as we can see, there's galaxies past that, right? We can't measure the heavens. So, in other words, Israel's not cast off, right? Um, Psalms 19.14. Very clearly. Says... I think it's Psalms 19. It's not 
that's right now wrong verse. Psalms 94. It says, For the Lord will not cast off his people, neither will he forsake his inheritance. So very clearly, the Lord will not cast off his people. So again, this is things that could have been known um, in the Old Testament, that God would not forsake Israel. He would not cast them off. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? All right, so God is not a man that he should lie. When he speaks, he's going to make good on it. Okay, and God has made promises to Israel. He will make good on those promises. Okay, he will not lie because he's not a man. Um, so God promised not to cast off Israel in the Old Testament. Right? He promised not to forsake them for his name's sake. And he's not going to lie. All right, he's going to make good on that. Um, so again, Paul's not saying anything new here in Romans or revealing anything new. These are things that could have been known. Right? God has not cast off his people. God forbid, right? by no means. And he says, For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul uses himself as proof that God has not cast away his people. So God did not fulfill his promises with Paul. But Paul is a Jew, and he's not been right, cast off. God didn't say, Israel, you know, the Jews rejected me, so every Jew from here on out cannot be saved. Right? That's what cast off means, right? To disregard, have nothing to do with you, cast it off. Paul's proof that that did not happen, right? because Paul got saved on the road to Damascus by mercy. He says, I obtained mercy right? uh, in his epistles. And so Paul is proof that Jews can still be saved, even today. Right? Jews can be saved. Um, so the nation as a whole, right, hasn't received the promises, but Jews, Israel, his people, can still be saved today. And Paul is proof of that. Uh, so by no means has God cast off his people. And then he very clearly says that in the next verse, God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. So uh, God has not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Again, Israel is God's elect. They're his firstborn. Uh, in Exodus 4.22, he tells Moses to go to Pharaoh it says, let my son go, my firstborn, talking about the nation Israel, right? They are God's son, his firstborn. It is the nation that God uh, bore. Isaiah 45.4, again, we covered a lot of this in dealing with Romans 9 in Calvinism, the word elect and foreknew and all that. Um, Isaiah 45 Verse 4, he says, For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name, I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. So God calls Jacob, Israel, his elect. Right? So the nation of Israel was God's elect. Right? So they were foreknown by him. This nation that he chose to create, why would he again cast them off? Right? He created them. So he created them just to cast them off. And, of course, the answer is no, God has not done that. And so Paul is going to use Elijah here as an example of what he's teaching about 
the remnant, which is what he's going to cover in Romans chapter 11, explaining the remnant, how God will save a remnant of Israel and always has throughout the scripture. So he says, God have not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What you not what the scripture saith of Elias, which is Elijah, uh, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying. And so in verse 3 and 4, he says, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. So Paul is quoting from 1 Kings 19. And most of us know the story of Elijah. When he goes up on the mount, makes a deal with Jezebel's prophets. And he pours the water on the altar and the fire comes down, right? And he kills the prophets there. Uh, but after that, he has to flee for his life because Jezebel, of course, wants him killed. So he goes into the mountain, into a cave to hide out. And God comes to him in verse 10, uh, verse 9 at the end, it says, What doest thou here? God speaking to him. It says, And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant and thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So Elijah here is saying, right, I've been jealous for you, God, because Israel right, has killed your prophets. They've gone after other gods. Right? They've forsaken your covenant. I'm the only one left right, that believes and trusts in you is what Elijah is saying here. Um, the same could have been said of Israel in Jesus' day and in the Acts period. So this is very similar to um, Israel during Jesus' day in Matthew 23. So that's why Paul is using that story as an example. Matthew 23, 37. Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth, till you shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So there he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, right? And you stone those which are sent unto you. Same thing that Elijah says, right? I'm jealous for you, God, because Israel kills your prophets, right? They've forsaken your covenant. Um, so much like Israel in Jesus' day, right? They rejected the new covenant. They rejected the kingdom. They rejected the Messiah. Um, and so the remnant might think, you know, we're the only ones left. Or if you were a Jew that did trust but weren't with the remnant, you might think that, right? I'm the only one in Israel that trusted the Messiah. Um, and so Paul says, what did God say to Elijah when Elijah told God this, right? I'm the only one left that trusts in you. If you look at verse 18, uh, 1 Kings, God answers and says, Yet have I left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which have not kissed him. So God tells Elijah, You're not the only one. I have 7,000 men which have not bowed the knee to Baal, and every mouth which have not kissed him. So he says, you're not the only one, Elijah. I have a remnant that has not bowed the knee to Baal. Um, and then he tells him to depart and basically find Elisha. Right, so Elisha was one of those men that had not bowed the knee to Baal. Um, so again, Elijah was wrong. He didn't understand that God always reserves a remnant of Israel, right? Which is what Paul is teaching here. Um, and so back in Romans 11, 
But just like Elijah, there was a remnant. There were 7,000 that had not bowed the knee to Baal. In verse 5 of Romans 11, he says, Even so, then at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So even so, at this present time. Um, you think about how many were at Pentecost. In Acts 2.41, that's what's going on there. Israel as a whole, the nation, rejected the Messiah, right? They rejected the kingdom. But some did believe. A remnant did. Uh, Peter preaches at Pentecost. And in verse 41, it says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So you have 3,000 at Pentecost that believe. Then Acts 4, verse um, 4, they preach again, the twelve apostles. It says, Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. So there's at least 8,000 Jews that believe, right, Peter's message. Um, so that's a remnant. When you study how many Jews were actually in Jerusalem, how many came, because it said they came out of all the nations, um, estimates are 100,000 plus. Some believe it could have been millions of Jews. So 8,000 out of 100,000, 200,000, possibly a million is not very many, right? So you think about going to China, you know, you see the cities, how they're packed. And you only have 8,000 people in all that city that believe you. That's not a lot, okay, when you think about that number. Um, so there was only a remnant that believed. Um, so Paul says, right, at this present time, right, God has reserved a remnant. There is a remnant according to the election of grace. Notice that it's not in every generation there's a remnant. He says, at this present time. So this was in the Acts period, right? Those who had believed Peter's message, those Jews, were still alive. So it was only at that present time God still had that remnant that did believe he was the Messiah, right? that did trust that the kingdom was at hand, Peter and his group, right? Uh, so there was a remnant in Jerusalem that did believe the gospel of the kingdom. Um, but I think some people would take that and say, right, in every generation, there's a remnant of Israel. It doesn't say that. He says at this present time. So it's only in that, I believe, that Acts period. Right? It won't happen again until you have the 144,000. Um, of course, that's after the church is raptured and all that. Um, so notice that it's at that present time that Paul is writing. Um, but he says there is a remnant according to uh, the election of grace. Again, the word remnant means a small remaining quantity of something. Okay, the body of Christ, the church, is not a remnant. Um, we did not remain from something. Uh, remnant is a remaining quantity of something. And what have we been talking about um, in the last two chapters? Well, the nation of Israel, right? So the remnant is a remaining quantity of the nation of Israel, right? A remaining remnant that believed in the Messiah. Um, so the remnant was identified in Luke twelve thirty two when God said, Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Right? Those who followed Jesus in the earth of the ministry, that was the beginning of the remnant. And when you see Acts two forty one and Acts four four, when you have souls added to that, that souls being added to the remnant, right? That are believing Peter's message. So that's what you have going on there. The remnant started following Jesus, right? Those who believed his earthly ministry, and then those who believed Peter and the 12 apostles when they were preaching. Um, but you had that remnant identified. And it was according to the election of grace. Um, so again, people make Calvinism out of this, right? God chose the Jews that would be the remnant before the foundation of the world. 
know it's the same thing as Romans 9, 11. Right, so according to the election of grace, God chose those who would believe the message to be the remnant that gets the kingdom. Right, not all Israel is of Israel. Right, you have to be believing Israel to get the kingdom. And that was God's election, his choice. Those are the ones that get it. Um, so again, we covered all that. I won't go over all that again. But God chose to give the promises to believing Israel. Right, that was his election to the believing nation. Um, so it's according to the election of grace. And so if it's by grace, then is it no more of works? This verse, verse 6, is a good verse to define grace. Um, I've probably quoted a few times when teaching lessons from Paul, but in the context, he's not dealing with the body of Christ. Right? So it's a definition of grace. If it's of grace, it's not of works. And if it's of works, it's not of grace. Right? That's the definition of what grace is. There could be no works added to it. Um, just because you see the word grace, it does not mean Paul's talking about the church again, right? He's not. He's talking about Israel and the remnant here. Um, grace is not new with the body of Christ. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, Genesis 6, 8 says. You go to Exodus thirty three seventeen. Says the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast find, found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. So Moses found grace in the sight of the Lord. <clears throat> so Noah, Moses, right, both these men found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Um, how was the promise given to Abraham, and how was righteousness imputed? So you think about the father of the nation of Israel. Well, how did he get these promises? Because God came down and said, well, Abraham, you're the most righteous man in all the earth. I'm going to make a nation out of you. No. Right? God chose Abraham based off of nothing Abraham did. Right? It wasn't by Abraham's works. It was by God's choice, his election. It wasn't an election to salvation. It was an election for God to do his purpose, right, to start this nation. Um, and Noah got righteousness, not by election, but by faith. <clears throat> My throat feels like it's given up. Uh, Romans 4, we covered this a while back. <clears throat> uh, Romans 4, verse 1 through 5. He says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, have found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he have whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. All right, so what did Abraham find? He says, the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed to him for righteousness. So Abraham had righteousness imputed to him by faith, by grace. So if you drop down to verse 13 through 16, <coughs> says, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which were of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, 
not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So again, the promise was to those who had faith, right? So it could be by grace, not by those who are the heir of the law, because the law was given to show their transgressions, right? It would have never came if the promise was only to those who were under the law, because they would have never obtained it, right? Because it would have exposed their sin, which was its purpose, and it did so. Uh, so it was by faith that they get the promise, that it could be by grace is what this verse says. Which is the same thing Paul is saying in Romans eleven six. <clears throat> oh no, why my throat's giving out? Um, so Israel in the Old Testament, right? They pursued their righteousness by the law. Deuteronomy six twenty five says that. Right, if we shall keep these statutes and these laws that you've given, it shall be our righteousness. But God promised that He would operate with them differently. So God gave that old covenant, but he promised he would give them a better covenant. Um, Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27. God never intended for Israel to stay under the old covenant. In Ezekiel 36, 24. He says, I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you an heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. So God promised a new covenant. Right, he would take out their stony heart and give them right a heart of flesh. And he would put their spirit within them to cause them to walk in his statutes and his judgments. So God promised to deal with them differently, to deal with them with a new covenant, by giving them his spirit to cause them to keep his law, to keep his judgments. Um, that's what you see in the early period of Acts. When they spoke in tongues, the spirit was causing them to do that. When they had all things common, the Spirit was causing them to do that. Right? That was the beginning of the new covenant, but it didn't fully come because right, Israel stumbled and fell. They rejected it. Um, Hebrews 7 deals with this too. <coughs> Hebrews 7 is all about, or Hebrews, the book actually, is all about Israel's better covenant. And they have a better testament, a better priest, a better sacrifice. That's what Hebrews is about. Israel's better covenant. If you look at Hebrews 7, verse 19, it says, For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. So there you have a better hope. It says, By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. So Jesus brought forth the better testament, right? So by the death of a testator, before you can have a new testament. And Jesus was, right, the one that died for the new testament, the new covenant. Um, so you have a better hope, a better testament. If you go to chapter 8, verse 6 through 8, it says, But now hath he, Jesus, obtained a more excellent ministry, but how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant 
which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So there he talks about a better covenant, right? This is that new covenant that he would make with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And that's what you see taking place there in the early part of Acts. Um, of course, they only got it by grace, right? They didn't do anything to earn God saying, well, since you did these laws and these works, I'll give you a better covenant one day. Right? It's by grace. God said, that's the only way you're going to keep my judgments is if I help you, right? So by grace, he's promised to give them a better covenant. He promised to give them a better sacrifice to take away their sin, right? He promised to give them a better hope. So those who had faith in that, in Christ as their Messiah, right, get that new covenant, that better covenant. They get to go in, right? So even Israel receives the new covenant, the kingdom, salvation, by grace, right? Um, so that's what you see Paul dealing with here in Romans 11, right? The remnant is according uh, to the election of grace, so when he says, and if by grace, then is it no more of works? Um, the it here in this verse, right? What is the it? You have to ask that. It is no more of works. Uh, the it is the election of the remnant, right? It is by grace that you have the election of the remnant, okay? Not by their works. God didn't choose a remnant by those who, right, kept the law the best. Again, you think about the rich young ruler. He says, I've kept all these laws since my youth up. He said, well, go sell your possessions and follow me. And, of course, he wouldn't do that. Whereas Peter, a fisherman, right, the lowly in Israel, they had faith that he was the Messiah, so they just followed him, right? So they would get the covenant by grace because they had faith that he was who he said he was. Now, of course, he acquired something from them, but as we spoke before, the man of faith is always going to do what God asks of him. Um, so they get it by grace. Um, again, the election of the remnant, this is not Calvinism because even new covenant Israel could reject or disobey the Spirit. Um, again, Hebrews, dealing with the New Covenant, the Better Covenant, deals with those who taste of this New Covenant, but then turn away from it. Hebrews 6, verse 4 through 6, says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift or were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, and that they shall fall away to renew them again into repentance, seeing they crucified in themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. So they taste of this new covenant, right? They've been enlightened. They've tasted of the heavenly gift. They were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. Um, they tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. So again, you think about all the miracles the apostles were doing. That's the powers of the world to come, right? The healing and all that. They tasted of that, but then they turned away from it, right? And so he says, right, if they fall away, uh, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. Um, in Hebrews, or actually Acts 5, 1 through 11, I think we have an example of this with Ananias and Sapphire. So again, popular don't rightly divide, you have bad doctrine that comes from Acts 5 because they say this is the church. Right? The church starts in Acts 2. And in Acts 5, we have an instance where if you disobey the Spirit, God might kill you. Right? Of course, you've heard teachings like this, right? If you do something against God, he might take your life. 
that's not God dispensing grace, is it? Right, that's judgment. Whereas Acts 5 is dealing with that new covenant Israel and people who lie to the Holy Spirit, right? Reject that after being partakers with that remnant. Um, so that's what you have here in Acts 5. It says, A certain man uh, named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it to the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart, that thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God? And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young man arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. It was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young man came in, and found her dead, and carried her forth, and buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. So I think great fear would come upon me too, right, if I saw this. Um, but that's what you had there, right? They're lying to the Holy Ghost after being partakers of that, right? Seeing the miracles of the apostles, supposed to have all things common with them in their lives, but we keep some of the money for ourselves, right? We're not going to share all of our possession. Right? They're disobeying what God had told them to do and lying to the Holy Ghost in the process. Um, and so they get taken out. So what he's dealing with here in Romans uh, 11, verse 1 through 6, is this remnant, right? And how their election is according to grace, right? How they get the kingdom according to grace, right? The new covenant. It's all according to their faith and grace. Um, their saving grace comes in the kingdom. So I've dealt with this before, too. We talk about people getting saved right, right now, right? Once they trust, they're saved. Israel never thought about that. They didn't think about salvation until the kingdom came. Right? Then we're saved. And you clearly see this with Peter's teaching in Acts 3.19. It says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So when are their sins blotted out? When the times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. So this is when God comes and sets up his kingdom, right? Refreshing. Things are peaceful, righteous, right? We don't wake up today and say, oh, this world is so refreshing, right? We say, well, there's another war, right? Overseas, got a new strand of the virus, right? More government restrictions, prices going up, inflation. We don't wake up and say, oh, Refreshing week, right? Things are just so refreshing, right? You see all the corruption and badness going around the world. Uh, so Israel doesn't get their sins blotted out until the times of refreshing, until the kingdom. First uh, Peter one, verse ten through thirteen. Verse nine, actually, it says, "Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls." So it's at the end of their faith they get the salvation of their souls. 
He says, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. So there you have the prophets, the Old Testament, prophesied of grace to come unto you. Which again shows that every time you see grace, doesn't mean it's talking about the church and the dispensation of grace. Here's talking about the grace that would come to Israel, to the believing remnant. So searching what or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent now from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up your loins, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when is the grace brought unto them? It's at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what do the prophets prophesy about? The kingdom, right? Salvation come to Israel when the kingdom comes. So that's what Peter's saying, right? They prophesied of Christ's suffering and the glory that follows after that. The glory that follows after that for Israel is their kingdom. Right? So he says Christ has suffered, went back to heaven. We're just waiting for that glory, that grace to come. So he says, gird up your loins, right? You need to be ready for the end of your faith, which is the kingdom come, right? Your salvation of your souls, grace. Um, so that's when they get their saving, right? Grace, it's when the kingdom comes. In Acts 15, when Paul defends Paul, uh, when Peter defends Paul for preaching to Gentiles, um, verse 7 through 11, it says, When there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that is a that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved, even as they. So why does Peter say there, right, just as the Gentiles are saved by grace, we shall be saved? Peter, you're one of the apostles. What do you mean you shall be saved? Shall be saved is future, right? Because he's referring to their kingdom, right? When they get the kingdom, that's when they will be saved, right? As a nation, as a remnant. So you see that when Peter's teaching, right? Israel is saved when the kingdom comes. Um, so again, that's different than us today. We have salvation now. We have all spiritual blessings now. We have a position in heavenly places, right? We have grace. We stand in it, right? It's not something future for us. Uh, we possess it now. Um, to the fact that all are saved by grace in every dispensation, that is not the mystery of Christ, okay? No man ever earned his salvation by his works, right? Every man is saved by grace in his faith. So again, that faith is in different things, right? If God said, hey, do this and I'll save you, by faith, I'm going to do that. Right? It doesn't mean I was perfect and sinless. No, God still had to die for my sins. But I get salvation by my faith in what God has told me. Right? And so we know God reveals things through time. Right? Things change. Um, but the remnant gets salvation by grace. Right? Their election is by grace, just as we today are saved by grace. So when you get to Romans 11, 5, and 6, it's not Calvinism. Right? It's not the body of Christ. He's still dealing with the remnant in Romans 11. So.
any thoughts or questions on that?